You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have one of my all-time favorite authors who uh, I've been privileged to get to catch up with uh, every summer for the last few years. And today, we're talking about Karen Slaughter's brand new book, Girl Forgotten. Uh, I love this book so much, Karen. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Karen, I, I have a question that I've been asking people a lot lately, and I wanted to pitch it over to you. Um, is there a piece of writing advice that you received maybe early in your career that was such gold that it comes back to you often, or maybe it was so terrible that it that you just laugh every time you think about it? Does a piece of advice like that stick out to you? Well, I mean, the good advice I got, um, like the first was from my ninth grade English teacher who was a wonderful woman and she mentored me and she was the first person who said, you're good, but you could be better. Mm. Uh, and her advice to me in ninth grade was stop killing everyone in your stories. (laughs) You might (laughs) want to write a sequel or you you just, you can't have unrelenting darkness. And she's, she's right about that, you know, so it's good to have a good balance. Um, but I think the best advice I got just period about being a writer is write. You know, that's the hardest part is sitting your right. butt down in the chair every day and trying to figure it out and not being precious about it. You know, if you want to be a writer, just sit down and start writing. Yeah, what's the old saying? Uh, butt in chair, hand on keyboard. I think there's a some clever abbreviation for it, but it really does come down to that, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. Um, you've said in the past that one way of starting a book for you is to think of a crime and then see how your characters will react. Um, that works very well for a series of books where you know the characters. You know, you've got a kind of an existing cast of characters and there may be tertiary characters that come and go, but there's a core group of people that, that you can kind of run through that exercise with. But what about a standalone book or the first book in a series where you, you don't know all the ins and outs of a character? How do you approach, um, you know, the thinking of a story in, in that scenario? Well, it really goes hand in hand, you know, even with my um, series books, I've got to figure out who the entree into the crime is, which character is going to respond to it first. You know, sometimes it's Sarah, sometimes it's Will, sometimes it's Faith. Um, So that it's it's all part of the storytelling is who's going to be the emotional anchor to this story. And sometimes stories are very emotionally driven. That's where you get the suspense from. Um, false witness, for instance, is a very emotionally driven story. Um, and the one before that, the silent wife is really plot driven in a lot of ways, which is easier when you're doing a procedural sort of book. Um, and I would say girl forgotten is kind of a mixture of both, you know, there's a past element and a present element. So you really understand the emotional, uh, anchor is what happened in 1982, 
and then the more of the the driving of the uh, mystery and the investigation takes place in the present day. So it's really a balance uh, of of those two worlds. But I think as a writer, you've got to have both of them. I mean, if you have beautiful characters who don't do anything logical, then people will hate the book. And if you have a (laughs) a terrific tight plot, but no one cares about the characters, no one's going to really remember the plot. Um, I wasn't, uh, when I, when I first got girl forgotten, uh, from your publicist, I didn't realize that this was a recurring character that, that Andrea, that I had seen her before. Uh, and, you know, as I got into the book, I was like, oh, this, this is very familiar. And then I, then I put two and two together that, that Andrea, um, it, you, that we've met her before, um, was, is there, w- w- when you write a standalone or what you think is a standalone, um, what then turns that into a series? How do you know that a character is a series character? Like there's, there's more that I'd like to explore with this character. I think every good books has a question at the beginning that you answer at the end. And so when I was writing pieces of her, I felt like the question for Andrea is not just who is my mother, but who am I since everything I know about my mother is a lie. Right. (laughs) So she has to figure that out. And there's a real evolution for her. You know, when we first meet her, she's just kind of floating around. She calls herself amoeba like, uh, you know, just going from stimuli to stimuli. And her mom in that first scene is telling her, Laura, her mother, hey, you need to grow up. You know, you need to start your life. And, of course, you know, being in a Karen Slaughter novel is always a way to um, scare the crap out of yourself and and kind of move you from inertia. I wouldn't recommend, like, murder as a a way to grow up, but it was a big starting point for Andrea. And now, you know, we catch up with her a, a few years later, and she's taking control of her life. And, you know, in many ways, it feels like a standalone because the the Andrea you meet at the end of Pieces of Her is the Andrea that you find in uh, Girl Forgotten. And she's a U.S. Marshal. She's just like freshly minted out of Marshall School. Uh, She doesn't know a lot about what she's doing, but they've drilled a lot of confidence into her because you have to have that kind of confidence if you're a marshal. And she gets an assignment that links her to something that has to do with her father's past. And so that's the question I started thinking about for Andrea is like, okay, well, she knows who her mom is. But what if she finds out who her dad is? And and the question for her is, I've got two parents who are pretty bad criminals. You know, they're not good people. They've done really right. bad things. Only one has tried to atone for it. The other still is, would be out there criming if he could. So what does that say about me? Uh, and we all know, unfortunately, when you put on a badge, that doesn't mean that you're automatically a good guy. You have to earn that. And Andrea, through the course of the book, shows how she can earn that it's uh it's so interesting because andrea as a character one she's not a superhero um yes she's been through the martial training and she's got a lot of this stuff that's been drilled into her but it's also a an interesting exploration of nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. um because if you if you want to talk about her nature or her inherited DNA, that's not good. You know, both of her <laughs> parents are criminals, but she's also not been nurtured, uh, you know. So then how do you come out of having two strikes against you and 
and become a good accomplished person just kind of by pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. And I, I kind of hate that terminology, but, but you know, sometimes you just kind of have to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a fan of that bootstraps either. Cause most yeah. of the time when people say it, they forget someone has to make the boots right. um, or buy the boots for you. So you can right. put them on. Right. But it's, it's kind of appropriate with Andrea, you know, cause she, a lot of some people don't have this ability, right? But a lot of people can choose the kind of person they want to be. And Andrea is one of those people and she can choose to be a good person or she can choose to be a bad person because she has the tools to do one or the other, right? right. Uh, or, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people who are bad still think of themselves as good. So I I wanted to have her going through the process of choice. Uh, because I think that's a really important thing that a lot of well, I can only speak to women. I don't know what it's like to be a young man, but a lot of women in their 20s, they're just struggling and floated, flailing around. And then they're in their 30s. They're like, oh, crap, I got to figure out how to be an adult. Well, that's <laughs> when you figure out the kind of adult you want to be. Do you want to be right. the same idiot you were in your 20s or do you want to like take control of things and try to be the person that you'd like to be? When when you started thinking about this book, did you did you know this was going to be an Andrea book in the beginning, or did you have a scenario in mind and and wonder is this a book for Will? Is this a book, uh, you know, for for another series? Or oh, the Andrea's over here. Maybe I could drop her into into this. Well, it kind of knew immediately. I do a lot of thinking about the story, so by the time I sit down and write a chapter, I've molded over in my brain a thousand times. And the Andrea books are the only ones, except for a short story I did with Lee Child, that st take place primarily out of Georgia. And so I knew when I said when it was set in uh, Maryland that it was going to be a different kind of book. Um, and I start with a young girl named Emily Vaughn, who's in 1982. And, you know, we all talk about people being canceled on the Internet. But right. anyone who's been to high school knows canceling has been going on forever. Oh, and yeah. Emily is a girl who has been canceled in high school through no fault of her own. Uh, and I, I wanted to really show what that's like, particularly at that age, to, you know, kind of have been coddled her entire life by her parents and by this friend group, this clique that she's a part of. And then suddenly she's on the outside. And in many ways, it gives her a tremendous sense of freedom once she figures it out, you know, and she thinks, wow. I don't have to do what other people tell me to do. I don't have to be the kind of person I thought I was supposed to be. I can be my true self. Unfortunately, she's in the first chapter of one of my books. So, you know, things don't end out great for her. But uh, <laughs> she does have that moment of hope before things go downhill. Is that a hallmark? Anyone we meet in the first chapter, not going to be good? Well, it depends on who the person <laughs> is. But yeah, usually something bad is really, really terrible is going to happen. If only we could warn them. Yeah, noted. I'll remember that when I read the next novel. Um, one thing you've never shied away from, uh, Karen, is violence in your books. And you have a, a, a unique way of keeping the violence visceral and to a point where I have a, a almost an immediate reaction to it while not being – um, sensational about it, if that makes sense at all. Like, mm -hmm. like you, you don't shy away from it at all, but you don't, 
glorify it either. And and that's that's really not a good word. But I think you you know what I'm trying to say. Well, I don't want to exploit the situation. I'm not writing to titillate. And I I feel very deeply about this because when I was a little girl, uh, my grandmother was being abused by my grandfather and horrific physical abuse. And we would go every Sunday for uh, dinner after church because my grandmother would make it and we'd be there with all my uh, big strapping uncles who could have stopped it at any time. Uh, and sometimes my grandmother would have a black eye or a broken bone or a cut lip. And we just pretended like nothing was going on. And, you know, my uncles would even tease her sometimes about being clumsy. And she wasn't clumsy. My grandfather was a violent alcoholic and he had beaten his children and he was beating her. And we didn't talk about it because it was considered, I don't know, personal between them. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I remember when I realized what was really happening and I went to my sister and said something, she said, you're not supposed to talk about it. And I can tell you that not talking about it never, ever helped my grandmother. It only helped my grandfather. And so when I write my books, I'm mindful of this. I want to show violence for what it is. It's not sexy. It's not fun. There's nothing titillating about it. It's horrific and abusive and violent. And, you know, I don't think anyone should be thinking otherwise, but this is my way of showing what really goes on so that hopefully, you know, if it helps one person to say, maybe we should stop ignoring this, maybe we should help, then I've done my job. Well, you know, crime thrillers and and thrillers in general are, are nothing new, but we are seeing kind of a golden age uh, for this type of literature. And, you know, as a kid who grew up in the seventies and eighties, um, I look back and I see lots of situations where stuff like that was happening and you just didn't talk about it. Um, and, and I've never really thought about this, but do you do you think that that might have something to do with why this kind of fiction is so popular right now? Because like we all have this buried stuff that we've seen all our lives that we just want to talk about now. It could be. I mean, it could between podcasts and true crime shows and all that. I think it's more acceptable to talk about it. I think particularly women have been reading this sort of fiction all the time, but they never admitted it because they were a little embarrassed. Like they shouldn't be reading about crimes that predominantly affect them. Right. Right. Like it was unfeminine or unseemly to be interested. And now, you know, it's mostly people don't give a fuck anymore. Right. I'm just going (laughs) to watch what I like. But I will say that you know, everybody talks about binge viewing, but crime readers have been binge reading for years, their favorite series, right? I mean, I've done that too. There's nothing more exciting than when, for some reason, I've never heard of an author that has 10 books uh, and I just jump right into them and love every single one of them, particularly when there's a, a through line with a series, you know, where you get to see them develop and change. I love that kind of stuff. So Uh, I, I think that people are just more talking about it openly, that they love this kind of novel. It's always been a popular genre uh, going way back. It's always been sort of looked down upon as if it's not literature. Uh, yeah. and, and I would say, you know, when something really breaks through, like Gillian Flynn with Gone Girl or Mar- Margaret Atwood with Alias Grace, those are crime novels, right? Those are thrillers. Yeah. But when the people who think they're really smart enjoy them, then they're literature. Um, 
you know, another big trend in in this type of literature uh, over the last decade, decade and a half, has been the unreliable narrator. When you said Gillian Flynn, that kind of uh, triggered um, that is. It, it, was that a um, a flash in the pan? Uh, you know, there, there are only so many times that you can misdirect a reader in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is that something that that uh, crime writers have have always uh, done? Just maybe that got the the focus. I guess that my question really is: How do you use that and keep it fresh without people going, "Ah, oh, I saw that coming," because Gillian Flynn did that, and now everybody's got to rip off Gillian Flynn. Well, you know, the thing about it is she did it really well. And she hit – I think a lot of women just live with a certain amount of low-level anger uh, about the shit they have to put up with every single day. And Gillian tapped into that, which is hilarious because her husband is a wonderful man, right? He's a great father, very supportive, and she's writing about this awful, horrible human being. Right. Um, And I think for a lot of women, it tapped into that. It tapped into the anger about maybe some differentials in their marriages or the relationships they weren't quite happy with. Um, And so I I think that was part of it. Um, But unreliable narrators have been around forever. I mean, Poe did it. I did it with my first Will Trent novel, Triptych. Uh, where you're yeah. following a, a guy and you think he's the good guy and then there's a, a, a shocking uh, thing that happens. So, I mean, I think if you do it really well, you can do it as often as possible. It's the people who do it badly who should maybe uh, reexamine their choices in narration. And and the people that do it badly get all the, the focus for some crazy reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the squeaky wheel, right? Right, <laughs> right. Um, in in Girl Forgotten, you uh, employ a dual timeline. We've got the present day, and then we've got the '80s. When you're writing um, thrillers, especially, uh, you know you're you're doing your best to keep the reader turning pages, finding what's coming next, what's coming mm-hmm. next, and and there are lots of different things that you can employ to. Um, to kind of let the reader off the hook for a minute, let them emotionally disengage so that when you hit those high points again, they, they have impact because if you just keep people's adrenaline pegged out all the time, then there's no impact to anything. Um, Does, does a dual timeline offer that like in the same way that, you know, using levity in a scene, making a, a humorous remark that that allows us to laugh for a minute. Does does switching perspectives kind of serve the same purpose? Well, yes and no. I mean, so what happens in every chapter is there's a build up to crescendo, right? Right. And so, in a lot of ways, it's more difficult to do the alternating timelines because you in each one you have to build a very different crescendo but then together they have to harmonize right right and you have to make sure that and i'll use the characters in this novel as a for instance the emily part when they're reading the emily part they're not just kind of like snoring through it and waiting to get to the andrea part and in the andrea part it's the same way each side of the story needs to stand alone. Like if you took all the Andrea parts out and just read the Emily parts, it would be a novella that made sense that had 
plot, character, action, all of those elements, right? And then if you did the same with Andrea, it would work as well. And, and it's really important to give attention to both of those things. I think a lot of authors might be more interested in one storyline than the other, and maybe they kind of phone in that second one. And it, it you really have to kind of double up the amount of work you're doing to make sure each side is equal you know, and so that when you, you read the Emily part and then the next you're into the Andrea part, like the first paragraph, you're like, oh, I want to know what happens to Emily. But then you're so into Andrea, you know, and it keeps doing that kind of working like a slinky. Speaking of, of Emily, where where did she come from? How, how did that storyline come about? You know, it's hard to say where my stories come from. And I'm sure there's some influence from when I was growing up. I mean, Emily would would be older than me in 1982. I was not a, a, a 17, 18 year old girl. Um, right. But, you know, I did go to a school where we had several girls who got pregnant and all but one of them completely disappeared. We never saw them again. One girl did come back a year later. She was allowed to come back to school. Mm. It was a big thing. And yeah, she was completely ostracized. I mean, I was friends with her because I was just very weird. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was desperate for friends. And, and to be fair, she was such a nice girl, right? Just a really solid kind of human being who was doing what everybody else was doing, but she got caught, right? Right. And right. no one, you know, no one ostracized the guy. They didn't want to ruin his life, but she was expendable. And, you know, raising this baby along with her family. So that was something that I that I think I was I had in the back of my mind when I was creating Emily. You know, what's that like? Because what happened to those girls who disappeared? I mean, there were all kinds of stories about teenage pregnancy and it was a national epidemic and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so I, I thought of that when I was writing her and what's her story going to be like? Um, we find, um, Andrea in this book, she's just graduated. She's, she's thrust into the world of, of being a U.S. Marshal. And, um, how does, how does she, um, get involved with this previous timeline with this, this other character? Like how do, how do they, uh, intersect? Well, Andrea is investigating the crime because she thinks it has something to do with her father. And this is more of her, uh, for lack of a better word, quest to find out, you know, who she is through who her father is. Was he always a bad person? Was he always uh, doing bad things? Um, and she gets an assignment as a marshal to protect a judge who is in the town where her father grew up, which is Longville Beach in Maryland. And so that's where her first assignment is. And it was really fascinating trying to find an entree into that crime because I knew that Andrea was going to be a marshal and I knew that this thing was going on with Emily and that was the, the crime she would investigate. And I had to find the kind of law enforcement that would be involved in investigating something in that town. And just by happenstance, I thought, oh, U.S. Marshals are in charge of judicial security. I mean, now everybody knows that, right? Because right. judges are being, I mean, everybody gets thre death threats lately. It's really right. horrific how easily people, I mean, usually, usually it used to just be women on the Internet who got death threats all the time, but now everybody's getting them. Um, right. And so I thought, well, that's a good thing. I'll have a judge 
uh, who's a federal judge who's receiving death threats, and Andrea will be in the ta- in town for that. But she'll have her own private investigation going on the side to try to figure out what this crime was that happened 40 years ago and how it relates to her and her father. So um, I, I don't want to give away too much of the book because people need to go grab it. Um, but are, are there going to be more stories um, for this character in the future? Well, never say never. Uh, I, because when I wrote pieces of her, I thought it would stand alone. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe, you know, the thing about writing Will and Sarah books or some of my standalones is they can be real emotional journeys for me too. Yeah. So it's a little easier to write an Andrea's story, uh, because she is kind of removed from the emotional aspect of that. Uh, so maybe, maybe in the future between other books. So speaking of that, how are Will and Sarah? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm working on the next one. And uh, so that's probably one of your questions. What's next? It's definitely <laughs> Will and Sarah. I mean, they, they're having a rough time. I'm just, I'll just leave it at that. You know, again, what are they doing in a Karen Slaughter novel if they want to be happy? <laughs> right. Nobody. No, there's never. And they lived happily. Ever <laughs> exactly. The book. Yeah. Um, so so you are working uh, right now on a book with Will and Sarah? I am. I'm having to stop so that I can go out and tour. Um, but uh, yeah, I know. But I'll be right back into it as soon as I get home. All right. Well, I know you've got a, a busy day of promotions, uh, Karen. The new book, Gone Forgotten, or Girl Forgotten. <laughs> can't read. Girl Forgotten, uh, when you're hearing this, is going to be available everywhere. We'll have links to it where you can grab it uh, from Amazon, either in hardcover or Kindle edition or audiobook. Grab it from Audible or visit your local bookstore and let's support local books. Um, Karen, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks for stopping back by. Thank you.